This is Code Switch. I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. And I'm Gene Demby. So, Shireen, mm-hmm. are you finna watch the Oscars this weekend? I probably will because I think it's going to be an interesting year. Okay, why? <laughs> why? You know why. It's, it's a way more diverse crew of nominees, in the acting category at least. We've got... Jalitza Aparicio for Roma. I love that movie. Mahershala Ali for Green Book. I haven't seen that movie. Uh, I'm not going to see it. <laughs> Regina King, If Beale Street Could Talk, which I haven't seen yet, but I'm really looking forward to. She's the best thing in everything she's ever in. So. Back to Roma. Mm-hmm. Marina de Tavira was also nominated for Roma. Yep. And I'm putting her in this diversity category. She plays the mom in the film, and the mom is supposed to be this, you know, upper middle class white Mexican. Um, but, you know, right. I don't know. Would she be white in the U.S.? Would she be Latina? Yeah. That's another Code Switch episode, but I'm I'm putting her in the mix. Right. Well, in 2015 and 2016, obviously, every single nominee in those acting categories, every single one of them was white, which is what prompted the Oscar So White hashtag. And here's Alex Nogales of the National Hispanic Media Coalition from right before last year's Academy Awards. We're here protesting the fact that Latinos are not in the industry in any... Uh, percentage that is acceptable. We are 18% of the U.S. population. We are consuming at the rate of $1.5 trillion a year, and we are buying 24% of all the tickets at the box office. So at the same time, we're only 3.1% of the speaking roles in film. Hmm. 3.1%. But you know what? There's nothing new about this fight over who gets to be at the Oscars. Nope. It's a fight almost as old as the Oscars. The year 1940. The 12th annual Academy Awards. Gone with the Wind was looking to clean up with 13 total nominations. Full transparency, I've never seen Gone with the Wind. Uh, it's not a good movie. Um, it's too long. It's boring. It's racist. I mean, there's no reason to really watch it. Well, we have a story that's linked to the movie, which maybe should be a movie in and of itself, right? It's about this woman, Hattie McDaniel, mm-hmm. who played Mammy in Gone with the Wind. Um, she was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, and she was set to become the first black person to win an Oscar, which she did. Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Science, fellow members of the motion picture industry and honored guests. This is one of the happiest moments of my life. And I want to thank each one of you who had a part in selecting me for one of the awards. For your kindness, it has made me feel very, very humble. And I shall always hold it as a beacon for anything that I may be able to do in the future. I sincerely hope I shall always be a credit to my race and to the motion picture industry. My heart is too full to tell you just how I feel. And may I say thank you. (laughs) Credit to her race. Wow. Hattie gave that acceptance speech right here in L.A. at the Ambassador Hotel where the ceremony was being held. That hotel, though, Jean, it had a strict no blacks policy. But some industry people pulled strings and the hotel offered a compromise. Hattie McDaniel could come just as long as she sat at a table stashed in the corner away from her white co-stars. Decades later, in 1962, a black actor named Caleb Peterson formed a group called the Hollywood Race Relations Board. They picketed at theaters and at studios and at the Oscars. In her book, Cinema Civil Rights, the UCLA professor Ellen C. Scott wrote that Peterson, quote, recognized that although the Academy was not the institution granting the jobs, it was the one that was defining success. 
Right, and producers want to hire successful actors. Right, that's the thinking. That's, that's why people fight over the Oscars so much, right? That's the way we think it works, right? So in response to Peterson's protest, the Academy was like, look, if you calm down, we will include a tribute to blackters. To blackters. Blackters. I love it. Gene just came up with a new word. Blackters. Blackters. We will include a tribute to black actors in the ceremony. Just stop making so much noise. But that wasn't enough for Peterson, who showed up on the red carpet that year with 125 protesters. And, you know, the police came and then things got heated and a dozen people ended up getting arrested for trespassing. But this did not stop Caleb Peterson. He got more militant. Mm -hmm. He promised protests leading up to the following year's Oscars and said he and his group were prepared to defend themselves if things got ugly again. Quote, we lay the whole responsibility on the Academy, not the police, he told the reporter. If they rough us, there will be violence. This is no Martin Luther King movement. Unquote. More than 30 years later, in 1996, even People Magazine was like, what is going on? They put out a cover story that read, Hollywood blackout, and the deck was, the film industry says all the right things, but the continued exclusion of African Americans is a national disgrace. And it seems like we go through these cycles of people protesting and demanding more inclusion at the Oscars like all the time, right? So it's like every couple years we Mm -hmm. revisit, or every decade even, we revisit this conversation. But the Oscars are just the tip of the iceberg. The fight over the Oscars hasn't really changed because the dynamics of Hollywood haven't really changed. Mm. It's still an industry run by white folks and where the biggest factor in who gets a job and who gets in the door is connections. It's that phrase. It's who you know. Right. And this is true in almost every business. It's definitely true in this business. Um, But it seems to be especially true in Hollywood where resumes are less important than connects. And today on the podcast, we're going to meet someone who doesn't know a lot of folks in the biz but wants to. And we're going to hear about an organization trying to help with that and everything they're up against. Producer Anjali Sastry from It's Been a Minute will take it from here. So this story starts in June 2018 with a senior at Bell Gardens High School in East L.A. My name is Anale Cabrera and I am 17 years old. I'll be graduating in two days. Uh, I am my class auditorian, so I've been preparing for my speech. Anale's lived in the Los Angeles area her whole life. She's hyper-focused on school and is pretty athletic. She runs track, she wrestles, and about a year ago, she became super obsessed with rollerblading. People will sometimes catch me, like, pretty much just skating in the middle of the road. And when I'm feeling a little stressed out, it just helps my, my mind come to ease. And like a lot of teenagers, Anali loves movies. Lady Bird. Take it away, Lady Bird. Everybody says don't, everybody says don't, everybody says don't, it isn't right. The Shape of Water. The way he looks at me, he doesn't know what I lack. Black Klansman. Well, I'm not risking my life to prevent some rednecks from lighting a couple sticks on fire. Her favorite movie, by far, though, is Call Me By Your Name. I like the way you say things. I don't know why you're always putting yourself down, though. The stylistic choices that the cinematographer and the director made um, definitely changed my view on cinema. I think that oftentimes I associated a good film with something that was action-packed and fast-paced, but this film definitely felt like Life unraveling for itself. Making things very difficult for me. But she doesn't just love watching movies. She also wants to make them. I've wanted to be in film since I was about 11, so it's always been a passion of mine. During her senior year of high school, Anali started working with this program called the Youth Cinema Project. 
The project partners with schools to teach kids filmmaking in the classroom from fourth grade through high school. And it helped Anali develop the chops to do something she's always wanted to do, write, direct, and produce a film of her own. She's been working on it all year long. I made a film called Luna at Moonlight. So it takes place in Moonlight Rollerway in Glendale. Um, and it's about this girl who falls deeply in love with a guy. Hello, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Are you sure? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. You don't look fine. Okay, let's go get you some ice. And um, she spends the next couple months roller skating around her neighborhood trying to reunite with him. I told you already, it's not an obsession. Then what is it? I don't know. I just have to find him. So Nolly's film, Luna at Moonlight, was a short film, just under seven minutes. There's rollerblading, the characters are from L.A., they're Latinx, and it highlights the neighborhood that Anali grew up in, a part of L.A. that rarely makes it onto the big screen. I know for like three months, they just really wanted us to get like our creative juices out, and they had us writing in journals every day and brainstorming all our, our stories and really digging into our plots. The they Anali's referring to here She's talking about project mentors assigned to schools like hers every year. These mentors lead filmmaking classes as part of the school curriculum. Okay, I'm going to take a shot real quick, and then I'll be right back. Keep on talking. The project was founded by the famed actor, producer, and director, Edward James Almos. He's been in iconic movies like Stand and Deliver and Selena, and TV shows like Miami Vice and Battlestar Galactica. He's a big deal. All the sounds that you're hearing, by the way, I'm on set right now. We're doing, making a film as we speak. I'm about to go on in front of camera, but um, I, you'll hear the first AD scream. I caught Edward for a second on the phone last year. He was on the set of an upcoming movie he's starring in with George Lopez called Walking with Herb. Edward says his project works because it starts young. To, you know, learn how to direct, how to produce, how to write how to act, how to do locations, how to do wardrobe, uh, how to do all the aspects of the departments of of filmmaking. So by the time they're getting out of high school, going into college, these kids are really well-versed in the whole understanding of of the uh, art form. Since the project launched five years ago, it's now in 16 school districts across California and works with about 1,300 kids each year. And to run the project, Edward turned to another Hollywood insider, Rafael Augustine. He's a writer on the CW TV show, Jane the Virgin. I was like, no, thank you. I'm very busy. I'm doing my own thing. I'm selling my own projects, trying to, like, fight my way through this industry myself. Uh, and then he said, just go visit a class. Just go visit a class and see if you change your mind. So I did. And I went to one of these emerging communities, and I watched nine-year-olds do the work that I didn't get to do till I got to college. And I just cried. Because I knew right then and there that this is how we change Hollywood. Today's the last day of school, so after lunch they're going to have parties. We have like popcorn and chocolate. but just like... That's Erica Sabel Flores. She's another project mentor. I met her back in June of last year at an elementary school in L.A. that's participating in the project. So I'm walking in with all my equipment, my headphones, mic, recorder, and immediately the kids spot me. Yeah. yeah, you know what this is, right? Yeah, it's yeah. a yeah. And what is this? The, the mixer. Uh, the what? The mixer. Yes, the sound mixer. 
Yeah. So these kids are learning how to use boom mics, Blackmagic 4K video cameras, fancy film editing software. Raphael says it's all funded by grants, private donors, and the school districts themselves. The majority of the fifth grade kids in this particular classroom are Latinx, and they were really cute. But the stories they're telling are not. A story about an alcoholic father, a family member in jail, a family getting deported. This is the whole point of getting these kids to be part of the film industry one day. It's to tell stories we might be missing out on when we have a Hollywood where every other movie is a rom-com or superhero sequel. And Anali Cabrera's own filmmaking dreams have also been inspired by family stories, like hearing her grandma talk about crossing the border. My grandma remembers, like, sometimes seeing people, like, starving, you know, because there obviously wasn't food at their disposal while they were coming here. This is the story Anali wants to tell. But she has no connections in the industry, she's not financially well off, and she's not alone. Latinx people are underrepresented in front of the camera. They get just around 3% of the industry's top film roles. And roughly one out of every 10 film directors are people of color. These disparities continue in the writing and creating of TV shows and movies, too. It's all according to the 2018 Hollywood Diversity Report, which measures diversity on and off camera. For Anali, part of the dream is to go to UCLA's film school. It's one of the most competitive film schools in the country. And the Youth Cinema Project is devoted to getting her there. Its stated goal is to help send kids to college. The thinking goes, if you don't have a family member in the business, you'd better have a college degree. And that's why the Youth Cinema Project isn't just about your filmmaking skills. Because the industry is all about who you know. Even the fifth graders I met are learning that. You guys are going to go to middle school. So who can tell me? Who can tell me? Think about it. Discuss it with a friend or whatever. But who can tell me one thing you learned at YCP that you think you can use when you go to middle school? Networking. Yes, networking. As for Rafael Augustine, the project's executive director, he's using his own network to make sure the handoff happens for the students from grade school to college to a job in Hollywood. Our next step is to go to every single studio, every single network, every single production company and say, hey, you need to provide not just educational experiences for these students, uh, but you have to be creating internships for these students of color. He says he reached out to a friend at Paramount and has others in mind. And I need to find these like-minded executives at all these places to help us do exactly that. So this is the real test. The kids can learn to hold cameras and write scripts all they want. But if the handoff doesn't happen, all that training might go to waste. Anjali has more on that after the break. Stay with us. Support for NPR and the following message come from Netflix's new podcast, Strong Black Lead, celebrating black storytelling and the creatives who make it possible. Every week, award-winning podcaster Tracy Clayton interviews black Hollywood legends, including Lynn Whitfield, Loretta Devine, and John Witherspoon. Listen and subscribe to Strong Black Lead everywhere podcasts are available. New episodes every Tuesday and follow Strong Black Lead on social. When Colin Kaepernick stopped standing for the national anthem at NFL games, it sparked a nationwide debate about patriotism and police brutality. In the next through line, we explore three stories of protest that are rarely told, but essential to understanding the current debate. Through Line, the podcast where we go back in time to understand the present. 
There are dozens of programs just trying to improve diversity in Hollywood, from the ghetto film school to the City University of New York's Fierstein Graduate School of Cinema. But they haven't made much of a dent. To talk about why, I called up someone who studies how the film industry hires, Kristen Warner. She's an associate professor at the University of Alabama. A lot of the pipelines that have been operating and been functioning in this business are through traditional relationships, you know, alumni networks, family member relationships. So guess what? It has often been seen that you would pick people who look like you or remind you of yourself. Over and over again, decade after decade, this is how it happens. Folks tell Kristen this process turns into real jobs. I started here and I had a friend who was an alumna of my school and so she gave me an opportunity to work and so I started doing this and I would take the mail to FedEx and then from there I would start typing in the writer's room and then from there that's how I learned to write. So it's not even the schooling necessarily, it's not even like the education, the education would happen on the job as they moved through. If kids like Anali Cabrera are going to make it, they're going to need more than just an education. A lot of the, the discourse, a lot of the language around entry is through, like, the best at the job, right, in terms of merit and in terms of skill set. It's a paradox, she says. People with less training might get jobs because of their connections. And people who actually know the how-tos of filmmaking can't even get into the room. Around the same time Oscar So White went viral a couple years ago, the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences realized they needed to do something more than just change the voter makeup of its white, male-dominated institution. I reached out to the Academy for this story. They told me about the Academy Gold Internship Program, which started just after Oscar So White. Their stated goal is to make the film industry more inclusive. Of the 107 students in last year's class, 35% of them were first-generation college students. Almost 30% were Latinx, almost 30% white, 20% were African-American, and almost 20% were Asian. The program offers workshops, the chance to meet with directors, and get mentored by Academy members. And of the last cohort, around 50 got jobs in the industry. Meanwhile, Youth Cinema Project founder Edward James Almos and project director Raphael Augustine were also paying a visit to the Academy president when Oscar So White was happening to pitch the Academy on taking up their project. And our conversation was essentially uh, the answer to Oscar So White is not changing voting regulations. The answer to Oscar So White is developing and investing in communities of color. And that's exactly what we do with the Youth Cinema Project. At first, Raphael says Academy leadership did not take action. So Raphael started doing what people do in Hollywood. He called up a friend who works in the Academy. And because of Raphael's friend, the students premiere their films every year at the Academy. Also, the high school students in the program get to attend an annual Academy Gold Career Summit. As for the Youth Cinema Project, it's only five years old, and none of the kids in it have graduated from college yet and officially gotten internships. So it's too soon to say how and whether this is working. Professor Kristen Warner says the program is trying to address a lot of problems all at once. Each step of that way seems, you know, it's like its own project, like getting you through high school, getting you into college, getting you an internship. I mean, like each of those things is a project in and of itself. It's completely admirable. It just it's a lot. But this conveyor belt the project is trying to put together is building a lot of momentum. 
Chapman University, another top film school in Southern California, is providing 10 full-ride scholarships each year for the program students in the Santa Ana Unified School District. The program received a new grant recently from the California Endowment Foundation, and they've hired Stanford researchers to track how many of the project students make it to college, like Anali Cabrera. There was this crazy event that happened yesterday. They screened eighth grade and Bo Burnham was here. She's now at UCLA and she's loving college. They have a lot of events like that here at UCLA, so I'm excited for that. Anali has found her footing. She's in a co-ed film fraternity and UCLA's film school doesn't just put you behind the camera immediately. You have to go through classes where you think about the story you want to make. And you know what? She's ready for it. But she's also a college student facing hurdles. UCLA's wealthy Westwood neighborhood is very different from Anali's working class community back in Bell Gardens. Anali hasn't even entered the industry yet, but she's already having to fight for her place in it. When you're a minority and you're entering the college life, not only do you have to get used to not being with family and, you know, going through college work and the stresses that come with that, but you also have to learn to not feel alienated when you're the only, let's say, Hispanic in the crowd or, you know, African-American in the crowd. Anali wants to be a cinematographer or director of photography. But for now, she's trying to soak up everything so she can put all of that back into the films she one day creates. She tells me she's going to be watching the Oscars on Sunday. She's hoping Black Klansman wins for Best Picture and will be closely watching the other folks of color nominated for awards, too. As for fixing Hollywood's diversity problem, it's bigger than just the Oscars, and it's bigger than just the youth cinema project and programs like it. I'll give the last word to Professor Kristen Warner. It cannot just be different looking bodies. I think, you know, Hollywood can prove when put under pressure, as they have every 15, 20 years, you know, they can give you the, the smallest thing that you ask for. And, and I don't want to invalidate that. But I think that we also need to be having conversations about what is it beyond counting the bodies that would count as progress. All right, y'all, that's our show. Please follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. You should follow Shireen at Radio Mirage. That's no trolling. Yeah, no trolling. Be, be I keep calm. it real positive on there. <laughs> I don't do that. Uh, you can follow me at <laughs> GEEGD215. That's GEDE215. We want to hear from you. Our email is codeswitch at npr.org. And send us your burning questions with the subject line, Ask Code Switch. You can sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter slash codeswitch and subscribe to the podcast on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week on the show, in honor of Black History Month, we'll introduce you to three black activist athletes you probably didn't read about in history class. This episode was produced by Leah Danella and Kumari Devarajan. It was edited by Sammy Yenigan, Leah, and Steve Drummond. Shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team, Walter Ray Watson, Karen Grigsby-Bates, Adrian Florido, Maria Paz Gutierrez, and Kat Chow. Our intern is Tiara Jenkins. I'm Gene Demby. And I'm Shireen Marisol Meraji. Be easy. Peace. We often form assumptions about people we don't even know. No one would assume that I spent half a decade training as a boxer or that I recently learned to ski and I really love skiing. And those assumptions are very often wrong. And I'll tell you what people don't expect to see on ski slopes is a black Muslim woman. Ideas on the hidden biases that shape our world. 
on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.